The dipping sun sparkled on the waters of the Royal Canal, but the evening air had turned cool, and most of those who had been sunning themselves or strolling along the towpath had made for home. Dennis O'Sullivan approached the third lock, pausing briefly to look down into the swirling waters. The lock looked dark and cold, and to his right Dennis could see the forbidding high walls of Mountjoy Jail looming in silhouette against the sky. He suppressed a slight shiver, then moved on, trying to appear as though he hadn't a care in the world. But although he might have fooled a casual observer, inwardly he was nervous about the meeting to which he was heading. He started down the decline towards Binsbridge and told himself that he had little to worry about. Binsbridge was far enough from home to make it unlikely that he would encounter friends or neighbours. But even if he met someone unexpectedly, he was good at improvising and talking his way out of things. And besides, despite a touch of nerves, another part of him liked the idea of secret meetings and savoured the idea of putting one over on other people. Always look after yourself, his father said, because no one else will. Dennis knew that the O'Sullivan family had suffered badly during the 1913 labour lockout, when thousands of Dublin workers had been starved into submission by employers bent on breaking the trade unions. Dennis had often heard his father proclaim that the O'Sullivans would never, ever be losers again. Why can't people just be practical and deal with the Nazis? Da had said at dinner earlier this evening. They won the war. They rule Western Europe. They are the facts. It's like primitive tribes that rebelled against the Romans when they should have been smart and accepted Roman rule. Dennis had thought that the Americans and the British weren't exactly primitive tribes, but he didn't argue the point with Da, who didn't like to be contradicted. Dennis walked on now through the summer evening, slowing down as he approached Binsbridge. There were seats along the towpath here, and he saw a broad-shouldered man sitting on the far end of the nearest seat, reading a newspaper. Dennis came to a stop and sat at the opposite end of the bench, as though resting. The man paid him no heed, but Dennis knew his arrival had been noted. Dennis looked around casually, observing that there was an old woman at one of the other seats. Otherwise, there was nobody within hearing distance, and the old woman was a good distance away and wouldn't pick up a word that was said. Good evening, Kmeiser, said Dennis politely. He knew the Germans took their title seriously and criminal Kreiser Vogts wasn't a man with whom you behaved familiarly. Neither Dennis nor Vox looked directly at each other but the Gestapo man lowered his newspaper slightly. Good evening. Despite his German accent and clipped way of speaking, Vox had excellent English. Dennis knew that he had served in Liverpool and Cork before being posted to Dublin and he expected that Vox had had plenty of practice in both places at speaking English and a crushing resistance to Nazi rule. What have you to report? I checked out the fields near Finglas that you asked me about and you were right, there are fellas drilling there but they're not very serious, most of them only have pistols and even those look ancient. You got close enough to see that? Yes. They don't see a friendly kid as a threat. I got chatting to one of them and I found out they'll be drilling again next Thursday night at eight. Excellent, said Vox. Very good work. Without turning around, he slid a sealed envelope along the seat and Dennis took it unobtrusively and slipped it into his pocket. 
The Gestapo man wasn't extravagant with either praise or payment, but the money was paid regularly and in cash, and Dennis was building up a nice nest egg. He recalled the first encounter with Vox. Dennis had got his nerve up and walked into Fitzgibbon Street Police Station and asked for the duty Gestapo officer. The policeman on desk duty hadn't taken him seriously, but when Dennis had insisted that he had important information, he had eventually been taken to an interview room and was joined by criminal commiser Vox. Dennis had told him that the address of the pre- of a premises in Cabra where a backstreet printing press was turning out anti-Nazi handbills and that had and that had been the start of an ongoing relationship between them. Dennis had convinced the German that people on guard against informers would think in terms of adults, so that a kid with his eyes and ears open could regularly glean information of value. The fate of those using the printing press had played on Dennis's mind briefly, but only briefly. As Dahl said, resisting the Nazis was stupid, and people should just go on with their lives. And if some people insisted on staying stupid, then the O'Sullivans would not be among them. Notwithstanding that, Dennis had never told his family or anybody else of his role, and there was a certain thrill to be had from fooling everybody. And now Dennis was pleased to to have satisfied the spy master, who could exude a disturbing chilliness if the information provided didn't satisfy him. Anything else to report? asked the German. No, that's all for now. I have something for you to check out. Okay. You live quite near the Botanic Gardens, yes? Yes. Start spending time there, but without drawing attention. What am I looking out for, asked Dennis. We've heard whispers, though it might be no more than a rumour, that criminal elements are meeting there. Criminal elements? Insurrectionists. People resisting the rule of law. Much as Dennis admired the Germans for their vigour and their military skill, he thought it was a bit rich for the Gestapo to quote the, the rule of law. He knew better, though, than to give any hint of thinking to Vox, and he nodded in agreement. Right. Keep a sharp look out, and if you see anything suspicious, report back to me. Fine. When do you want me to start? Immediately. Ask a foolish question, thought Dennis. The Nazi, the Nazi always wanted things their way and to their schedule. Anything else you see in here? I still want to know. Understood? Yes, Commissar. But this is your main mission for the moment. I'll give it my full attention. Give every task I set you your full attention, said Vox. And although he didn't look up from the newspaper, Dennis felt as though the German's eyes were boring into him. Of course, Kmeiser. Very well. That will be all. Good work on Finglas. Thank you. Dennis felt relieved, as he always did when finished with Vox. But he also was buoyed by the Gestapo's man's praise. Still maintaining the fiction that he and Vox were total strangers, he stood, felt the comforting present of cash in his pocket, and then turned and headed for home. Telephone call for you, Kevin, said Mr Cox. It's your father. Kevin felt anxious as he crossed the room to take the phone from the youth club leader. He had been with some other boys in the shop at the back of Manor House, and Mr Cox had allowed them to choose from the limited selection of sweets and soft drinks after an afternoon hiking and swimming. Kevin and Roisin had resolved to keep a close eye on Dennis O'Sullivan when Mary slipped off to the secret rendezvous with her father. But for now, Kevin had been feeling happy and relaxed, 
A telephone call just one day after he had left home was unexpected, however, and Kevin nervously entered the telephone booth and closed the door after him for privacy. Taking a deep breath, he lifted the phone. Dad? Thank God I got you, said his father. Kevin knew immediately that something was seriously amiss. What's wrong, Dad? Is there anyone within hearing, son? No, I'm in a telephone booth. Even so, keep your voice down and turn away so no one can see your face. You're scaring me, answered Kevin, keeping his voice low, as instructed. What's happened? Roisin Tierney and her aunt are in danger. Henrik Vox led a Gestapo raid on Shandon Park looking for Mrs Tierney. Oh my God. Kevin gripped the telephone tightly. If Dennis O'Sullivan had decided to get Roisin into trouble, then the Gestapo would have come to question her, which would be bad enough. But Dad had said they had come for her aunt, Mrs Tierney suggested they had uncovered her role in creating the false identity to hide Roisin's Jewish background. Did they say, Dad, what they wanted with Mrs Tierney? I wasn't here when it happened, but Mr Hannigan overheard one of the, me- the policemen who was with the Germans. He said they were coming for the Jew. Kevin felt his stomach tighten in fear, but he tried not to panic. Right, he said. If either of them is Jewish, Kevin, they cannot come back to Dublin. You've got to warn Roisin and she's got to warn her aunt. Kevin could barely believe that things had unravelled so quickly. But even as he feared for Roisin and her aunt Nula, he realised that his own father was taking a risk. Telephone lines weren't secure and if it ever emerged that he was helping Jews to escape, Dad's life would be in danger despite his standing as a counsellor. Make certain you're not seen to be a part of any of this, Kevin. That's absolutely vital, but on the quiet, you have to warn Roisin. I'll do it the minute I leave here, but I'll make sure no one sees me. Good lad. And Dad? Yes. Thanks for warning. I know, I know I've been giving you a hard time about the germs, and I'm sorry now, Dad, I really am. Don't worry about any of that now, son. It's still brave what you've done. I can't stand by and see my neighbours murdered. But time is tight here, Kevin. You need to pass on the message as quickly as possible. And like I say, make certain you're not seen doing it. Then if you're asked afterwards, deny all knowledge of any Jewish link. I will and and I love you, Dad. I love you too, son. Take care and God bless. You too. Kevin hung up, then stood immobile in the booth as he quickly gathered his thoughts. Somehow Roisin would have to vanish and Dennis O'Sullivan would have to be kept in the dark. He didn't know how either could be achieved, but he had to find a way. Making an effort to keep his expression untroubled, he stepped out of the booth, left the shop and started back towards the campsite. Heavy clouds had come scudding in from the Atlantic, giving the sea a steely grey look, but Roisin barely noticed the change from the earlier sunshine. She felt almost paralysed with fear and recalled that this was how she felt in her nightmares. But this wasn't a bad dream. This time she had to face the reality of suddenly being unmasked as Jewish. A few minutes previously, Kevin had come to her tent where she had been relaxing with Mary. Kevin had said they needed to talk urgently and that they had to go somewhere out of sight, but without being seen by Dennis O'Sullivan. Skirting the rest of the tents in the campsite, they had made their way into the thick woods behind the manor house where Kevin had dropped his bombshell about the Gestapo raid on her home. Standing now in the midst of the sweet-smelling woodland, she tried to master her fear and put her thoughts in order. I need to get word to Aunt Nula in Mayo, she said. First you have to escape yourself, said Kevin. No, the first thing is to warn Nula. 
I got her into this. You need to do both, said Mary, but let's not panic. There's probably more time than you think. How do you make that out, asked Kevin. I'll talk to Vox. It'll take Vox a good while to get to Clifton. We know how slow the Dublin to Galway train is. They probably have Gestapo officers in Galway City, said Kevin. He could send them. Maybe, answered Mary, but it's still a long way out here. Or he could tell the police, said Roisin. Mary shook her head. I doubt he'd trust the local police. Lots of Irish policemen hate working with the Nazis. There's every chance they drag their heels. You really think so? Yes, answered Mary. I'm not suggesting we waste a minute of time, but let's not make mistakes by panicking. Roisin was reassured by her friend's cool demeanour, and she guessed what Mary must have developed her that Mary must have developed her coolness through involvement with the resistance. You're right, said Roisin, but the first thing is still to get a warning to Aunt Nula. How do you plan to do that? asked Kevin. There's always a couple of bicycles at the back of the manor house. Supposing I took one and cycled into Clifton. I could send a telegram warning Nula, then set off and cycle to Mayo myself. It will be dark in a few hours. I could travel by night. What will you say in the telegram? asked Mary. I'd have to find a way to warn her, but kind of in a code. That might make them suspicious in the post office, said Kevin. I'll have, I'll have to chance that, said Roshi. Mary nodded. Most people in Connemara are really anti-Nazi. They'll probably turn a blind eye. Fair enough, said Kevin. But as for getting to Mayo, that's a very long cycle. And there's another thing to consider, suggested Mary. What's that? It would be easier for your aunt to disappear if she only had to worry about herself. If there are two people together, the Nazis are looking for them as a couple. It will be harder to vanish, even in the wilds of Mayo. Roisin hated the idea of being separated from her aunt, and she looked at Mary questioningly. So what am I supposed to do? I've been thinking about that, and I've got an idea. You probably won't like this. What is it? Just hear me out with an open mind. Roisin was impatient to hear Mary's idea, and she nodded quickly. Okay, so what's your plan? Dennis felt on the edge. He was standing in the phone booth at Manor House, to which he had been summoned urgently, and he had nervously started to pose a question. Listen carefully and don't interrupt me, said Vox, his voice sounding crackly down the telephone line. Sorry, Commissar, said Dennis, pressing the telephone to his ear, as, so as not to miss a syllable. He had, heard Vo- he had never heard Vox so agitated before, and he knew that, this, that it was essential not to do anything that might upset the German. You need to locate Roisin Tierney immediately. Then don't let her out of your sight. Yes, Commissar. Though her name isn't Roisin Tierney, continued Vox, she, she's a Jewish, whose real name is Rachel Clark. Dennis said nothing, stunned by the revelation. His suggestion to check the files had revealed something far more dramatic than he had expected, and he found his head reeling. He had never liked Roisin Tierney or Rachel Clark as she apparently was. That wasn't the same as wanting her dead, though, and the exposure of her Jewish background could well be a death sentence. Before he could think about it further, Vox spoke again. I'm just about to leave Dublin by train. Keep a close watch on her until I get to Clifton tonight. Dennis realised that this would take hours. A huge responsibility was being placed on him, and he dreaded to think how Vox would react if anything went wrong. He had to get out of this. I'm happy to help, of course, Commiser, he said, but would it not speed things up to send officers from Galway? This case has been run from headquarters. I don't want to involve Galway. But the local guard station in Clifton, could they not hold her until you get here? Don't argue with me. This brat led me a merry dance in Cork. I'm going to arrest her personally. 
Your job is to watch her till I get there. Is that clear? Yes, Kamauser. Do this well and you will be rewarded, richly rewarded. Thank you, Kamauser. But do not, I repeat, do not let her out of your sight. I'm holding you responsible. Don't let me down. No, Kamauser. That's all. Go back and locate her and I'll see you later. The German hung up abruptly and Dennis stood unmoving, then replaced the telephone on its receiver. So Roisin Tierney was really late Rachel Clark, pretending to be a Catholic while actually Jewish. What a little liar. And now she was causing him more trouble, with Dennis being held responsible if she evaded Vox again. He couldn't let that happen. He had never fully understood why Nazis were so opposed to the Jews, but the reality was that they, but that they were. And he couldn't change that. And if it was his choice between it between his well-being and hers, that was no choice at all. She had to be arrested. He didn't know how she had escaped Vox and Cork, but he had to make certain she didn't evade the Gestapo man a second time. Stepping out of the telephone booth, Dennis walked quickly towards the campsite, anxious to find the fugitive he still thought of as Roisin Tierney. I need to ask you a favour, Dad, said Mary. Oh, what's that? Mary paused, trying to find the right words. She had surreptitiously joined her father that afternoon for their farewell meeting in the gloomy ruins of Clifton Castle. But instead of savouring their last moments together, she was preoccupied with how much depended on Dad's answer. Spit it out, love, he said. When you go to Iceland tonight, will you bring Roisin with you? What? The thing is, Dad, she's not really Roisin Tierney. Her real name is Rachel Clark and her mother is Jewish. Mrs Tierney doctored the records, but the Germans have found out and they raided Shandon Park this morning. Her father was normally unflappable, but Mary could see that he was shocked. When did all this come out, he asked. Just today, Kevin got a phone call from his father warning him. The Gestapo had called to Tierney's. Did you know all along she was Jewish? I've known for a while. Though she's not actually Jewish, it's her mother who is. That's enough for the Nazis. I know, that's why she has to get away. So I thought if you're leaving the country tonight, she could escape escape with you. It's not that simple, Mary. She's a lovely girl, and I really sympathise, but I have to see the bigger picture. What does that mean? They sent a submarine because the plans I'm carrying are vital. I can't risk everything by taking Roisin and bringing the Gestapo down on top of me. She's my best friend, Dad. They could murder her. Her father said nothing, and Mary looked him in the eye. One person... One person boarding the submarine or two, what's the difference? It's not the submarine, Mary. It's the increased risk of capture with the Germans on her heels. But they wouldn't be on her heels if she's already hiding with you at the meeting point. They'll never expect her to escape by submarine. They won't be looking for that. It still increases the risk. My mission is vital, Mary. It could help change the course of the war. I understand, Mary took a deep breath and looked appealing to her father. So I hate asking you, but I still am. Save my friend's life, Dad, please.